welcome everyone and thank you so much for joining us for the final episode of season two of the Leveling Up in Lactation podcast. I am Erica Dudley, your host in IVCLC and private practice up in northern Indiana, the owner of Enriched Lactation. You can head to enrichedlactation.com to learn more about my practice. You all know the drill. This podcast was really created to highlight amplify and create this audio hub of specifically black lactation professionals. These are the stories that I wanted to hear and know about on my journey when I was first starting out and as I continue to progress to see what that trajectory could look like. On this episode, the colleague I'm interviewing, which is such a pleasure, Chandra Matto. Chandra Matos is an IBCLC internationally board certified lactation consultant and owner of a location independent lactation practice where she provides breastfeeding and infant feeding support to families countrywide. Chandra has a passion for sharing her understanding of complex lactation subjects with her colleagues and aspiring lactation students. When she's not with clients, speaking or teaching, she spends time with her daughter. Chandra, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Leveling Up in Lactation podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. You've been on my list. I've been building up, (laughs) (laughs) building up uh, nerve to reach out and hopefully get you on. So I'm so grateful that things aligned um, because I know you recently had a move. So thank you so much for the time today. Yeah, it's it's been hectic, but I'm happy to be here. Great. And so with um, all of my episodes, I'd love to kind of explore before to kind of pivot into the lactation space. So share with me what you were up to um, in high school. What were you wanting to be when you grew up? What were jobs? What were you doing? Goodness. Uh, In high school, I mainly did extracurriculars, so I didn't have to get a job. But my first job was uh, assistant dog groomer. And then I was working at Domino's Pizza when I was in high school. And I didn't really have a plan for what I wanted to be when I grew up, but I ended up joining the army as a linguist. So that's kind of a big detour. Uh, And then that was really the only job that I had before I got into lactation. I love that. Yeah. So that's, that's new information for me. So, (laughs) so as far as being in the army as a linguist, um, is that something where you eventually found your partner and then baby came share with me what that timeline looked like? Yeah. So, um, I joined the army in 2010. I was actually married previously before my current husband and, um, yeah. And then it was when I moved from learn, like we learned our language in Monterey and it was when I moved from Monterey to the second part of my training, my, my relationship that I was in had kind of fallen apart at that point that I met my current husband. And uh, I want to say from the time that I met him to the time that I got out was about a year. And then we ended up having Ari like a year and a half after that. <laughs> so. Love it. Yeah. And so what, what did that pivot look like into the lactation space? When did you learn that it was a thing? Yeah, so I did not know what I wanted to do when I got out of the Army. Um, I went back to school temporarily, and um, having been married previously, we had contemplated having kids, and I had learned about the role of doula. And while I was in school, in history class, they had talked about midwives and their role in the community, and I was like, well, midwifery sounds too hard and too much responsibility, but there's a, there's a doula job that sounds kind of easy enough. 
And so I made the commitment to take a, a doula training. And then um, it was to prepare for that. Dona had a recommendation that you take like a breastfeeding class. Mm. And it was during that I was like, this lactation science, like boobs are kind of cool and they, they work really hard and it's kind of exciting. And um, so I, I kind of had made the commitment at that point that like I wanted to pursue uh, learning more about lactation science and helping parents breastfeed. Got it. And so 2010, you joined the army. What was that the year of that, um, at that doula, excuse me, donut doula training, learning about the breastfeeding class and all the fantastic things that boobs can do? Yeah, that was in 2013. So I got out, I got out in July of 2013 out of the army. So I had about three years in a little over three years. And within like six months of me having gotten out, I had already started my practice. Got it. Yeah. And so you're in private practice. When did you kind of head over to the Ibelsi website to learn about the alphabet soup of lactation? Yeah, pretty, pretty early on. I am kind of one of those people that if I'm going to put my time and energy into doing something, I want to be the best that I can be. And so I learned pretty early on that like the IBCLC was like the cream de la crop, you know? And so um, I ended up learning about that pretty early on. So in 2013, um, knew that I had like a five-year plan to make that happen. But uh, the path to getting there was kind of bumpy. And, you know, I went through LER and all that stuff. But so I learned about it pretty early on and was on like this long-term mission to make it happen. Yeah. And sound, it sounds like you kind of acknowledged that you wanted to be in the field and kind of had bullseye straight to the IBCLC credential with the pathways, share with us what your pathway was and why you selected that option. Yeah, so I ended up being a pathway oneer. Um, I know that we get a bad rap, <laughs> but uh, the, it was kind of by necessity. Um, so I went to, when I was in Texas, that's where I started this journey um, in Fort Hood. Well, let me, let me rephrase. That's where I started trying to get my hours was in Colleen, Fort Hood, Texas. And nobody wanted to mentor me. Um, also kind of is important. I started this process before I had my daughter. So I, she wasn't even a thought in my brain when I started this whole process. So, you know, I, I was trying to find a mentor because I knew peer support wasn't an option. I wasn't a healthcare provider. So I really was limited with my options, but nobody wanted to mentor me. So, so, uh, after I had Ari and had breastfed for a year, I ended up meeting up with Nikki Killings and she is actually how I got set up with Leche League and got my hours that way. Shout out to Nikki. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's important for people that are listening. Most people assume that it's after you have your baby and that's the only way that you can be in this field, but you can absolutely um, support lactating families without having birth a baby. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> I love that, that part of your story. And so you're currently in private practice. Um, share why you opted for that route by comparison to say in a hospital or a clinic. Um, Cause I didn't think I'd get a job. <laughs> I mean, if I'm being, if I'm being honest, um, yeah. you know, it's, it can get really discouraging. So when I was, when I, when I was a CBS, I had no choice really to be in private practice. I know there's opportunities um, in the hospital or in uh, some clinical settings, but back in 2013, I don't recall seeing a lot of them. I don't think as much as there might be now. Um, and I, um, I could have done WIC, but I, I, I had never been on WIC, and so they really want people who've had that experience to be a peer counselor for them. 
And so it seemed like a natural progression once I became an IBCLC to maintain my practice. And is that something where you think in the future at any point you would go to a hospital or clinic setting? Or are you kind of a community based and kind of set um, that role? I've kind of applied around. <laughs> I've applied um, to a hospital. I don't know. I, I mean, I know that the roles are very different. And so from a financial standpoint and security standpoint, I think there's an argument to be made about getting employed somewhere. Um, I don't know how good of a hospital IBCLC I would be though, quite honestly. <laughs> um, it's just it's just different. Um, as it stands now, I'm never gonna close the door off to it. But, you know, working in the postpartum period and, you know, doing virtual visits and home visits as needed is is definitely something that um, appeals to me in the moment. I do have a I do have like a dream to open my own clinic one day, uh, but that's not in my short term plan. Yeah, and I think that's the beauty of this profession is that you can have so much variety within it. And not to kind of like shut yourself off to potentially going a different route at some point in the profession because it's a long road. <laughs> yeah. If you're wanting to kind of stay with this work long term and it's very easy to, I'll speak for myself, get burnt out doing one type of role over and over again um, in the short time that I've been in this field. Absolutely. And so with that said, you do a ton. <laughs> with <this laughs> You mentioned home visits, one-on-one consults, but you also do like marketing and website development and speaking engagements. Um, was that on your radar to kind of have all those options available when you first learned about the field or did that kind of naturally evolve? It, it, it definitely naturally evolved. I did not know what the industry entailed before making the commitment to get in it. Um, and I don't want to discourage anybody, but it's definitely a lot different being in it than when you think about what opportunities are available and stuff like that. So um, I didn't have as much of a guidepost or a lot of resources I felt that really could point me in one direction. And so it kind of just sprouted naturally from like, okay, you know, I want to help parents, but also like, you know, the things that I write on my blog were getting attention and people were starting to ask me to speak for things. So I was like, that's kind of cool. And I was like, well, this education thing is kind of cool also. And oh, well, I'm getting clients and I know some people struggle with getting clients and so maybe I can help them do that too. So it kind of just all progressed naturally. And now I have my hands in too many things. <laughs> <laughs> my my follow-up question was going to be, how do you manage all of those, um, those options? Um, I, I would like to say that I have my life together, but I don't, <laughs> I really don't. Um, I, I make time to make sure that I get what needs to be done, done there's always projects that end up being on the back burner. I procrastinate a lot, but I work well under pressure. So it kind of, it kind of balances out. Um, I would not recommend my strategy, but you know, um, I, I th this year in 2022, I made a, a very strong commitment to kind of minimize my speaking engagements, not because I don't like doing them, uh, but because I have my own educational project that I'm trying to work on. And um, I thought maybe backing out and having some time to just focus on that would get more work done. It ended up just being on the back burner, but being able to say no to certain things that I really, really want to say yes to has been a, a skill that I'm developing. And I think it's been paying off so far. Yeah. And I, I think just listening to that for myself um, is helpful because it's really, you know, you get into this field eager to learn and then eager to share but really kind of identifying, you know, what's my bandwidth? <laughs> yeah. 
all the things that I want to do specifically, like pouring into my specific projects and not kind of um, helping to grow other people's. That's kind mm-hmm. of been the recurring theme of my work right now is kind of limiting that and um, trimming things down for sure. Yeah, it definitely can be it can be tough because I think that ambition is something, especially if you're in private practice and you're in this field, you know, I think there's a level of ambition that you have to have already. I think it kind of, this field attracts a certain type of personality type and it's very easy to do too much too quickly all the time. Um, It's something that I've learned for sure. Absolutely. And so within this field, there's a lot of different type of families that we can serve. And so with that, do you feel like you're able to, um, serve your target family or audience without it impacting charging your worth (laughs) specifically being in private practice where income is not um, predictable yeah i i think over the years i've really struggled with this kind of concept because um you know we run a business if if you know from from a completely logistical and and objective or you know, if we, we look objectively at the scenario, run a business, um, I don't have a nonprofit. And so for me, you know, making money, enough money to pay my bills is really important. Unfortunately, I know that that means that to make that happen, because my time and my resources are finite, it means that I have to charge a certain amount that kind of makes us, some people not be able to afford my services. And so finding like that balance and, and, and really narrowing down kind of like being okay with that fact um, kind of took a couple of years to kind of get like for me to get used to it. I don't know if that makes sense to you or if that, if if my thought process was clear on that. Um, For me, my target audience, I think um, irrespective of finances has always been people who are dealing with oral dysfunction or complicated cases. And because I kind of look at myself as providing specialty care specific to those issues, it's been easier for me to not feel so uh, like I'm charging too much. And that's just something that's been working for me. Um, And then over the, you know, I've been self-pay for the majority of time, but I recently um, linked up with the Lactation Network uh, and to, to be able to provide, you know, at no cost to the parent upfront, you know, it's the, it's the, the company negotiating with uh, uh, the insurance companies so that I can kind of just make sure that I'm not specifically only just relying on cash pay more. So not so much from a business standpoint, although there is a consideration there, but you know, to make sure that, you know, it's expensive. A lot of this stuff is expensive, especially with things like tongue tie or oral dysfunction, everything's expensive. And so finding a way to, be a little bit more accessible in that regard was something that I've made a transition to recently. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of things I want to pull out there is that really identifying and being confident and solid in your skill set so that when you're charging whatever amount that works for you and your business and your bills, um, you know the value that you're bringing to the table. And yes, that may kind of isolate some people not being able to afford your services, but I think for me, that makes me sleep better at night, knowing that <laughs> the value that they're going to get on the receiving end after they, you know, uh, inv- make this investment, right, is going to be worth it. And they're going to be able to see the value in it. And then also identifying that it is a specialty type of service, um, kind of specifically what you provide with oral dysfunction. 
but having that option available where you're able to take some insurance. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I am still struggling with is like outsourcing that type of role, like for the billing, them negotiating with the insurance. And it's like, well, you don't have the bandwidth to do it yourself, Erica. So (laughs) (laughs) of like the, the, you know, was the hang up for me, but it's like at this time and place, it's not something that could feasibly be done in a timely fashion. And then it's a disservice to the family, not being able to have that option. Um, But I think that's something that us as lactation consultants specifically Um, get torn with, especially when we first kind of get that credential as far as am I going to be all cash pay? Am I going to kind of do all the legwork to go through C-A-Q-H? I believe that's the acronym. (laughs) Sounds right to me. (laughs) (laughs) To get a network individually, uh, but it's something that can evolve and can change the longer you're in this field. So I did consider getting in network um, for a, for a short period because, like I said, you know, I, I there there is definitely some challenges with just being completely cash pay, and so I remember um, when I had first moved to Fayetteville a couple years ago, I had applied to get in network with Aetna, and they were like, "Nope, we don't want you. We have too many providers," which was I thought it was weird because there was not that many LCs in that area. So I had got the rejection. I was like, yep, okay, maybe this is my sign that I don't need to. And then kind of seeing, you know, some of the struggles that that people are having in network, I think kind of solidified my, from yeah. my perspective that I don't necessarily think for me right now, being in network with the payouts and the clawbacks and all of the other stuff is right for my business right now. But again, you know, I think the main thing when you're in your own, when you, run your own business is being flexible and, and kind of reassessing consistently and, you know, seeing how everything fits in with your big picture and kind of your goals. Yeah, I agree. And so niche is something you spoke about um, with oral dysfunction and things like that. Did, was that um, sparked based on your own breastfeeding experience with your daughter? You know, actually not so much. So um, I, I kind of sat down, it, it, it certainly played a role, but remember I had kind of got into this field prior to having her. So I started off um, just trying to consume as much information as possible. And once I had got through things like the core curriculum or, you know, um, human lactation for the medical professional, which really focused on the, the lactation part, which was really interesting to me. Um, I was like, well, what's next? Like, what more can I learn? And so I just remember uh, diving into uh, supporting sucking skills and being like, wow, like, this is just so complicated and complex. And, and it doesn't seem to be something that everybody is well versed in. And so it was kind of just that drive to be, you know, the next Catherine Watson, right? Like that's who I wanted to be. Um, that kind of sparked that in the uh, my niche. But um, having had, my daughter was born prematurely and she did have a tongue tie. And so having that experience, both from the NICU experience and the prematurity and, you know, ours weren't, wasn't very significant in the sense of, um, I see parents all the time who can't nurse without pain and they're in tears and, you know, they're thinking about quitting. Um, or, you know, stopping, right? Because the pain of nursing their tied baby is so, so strong. For me, that wasn't my experience, but we did deal with oral dysfunction and low tone. And, and it kind of just solidified that, at least for me, you know, there's such a focus on tongue tie that I, I wanted to make sure that parents that didn't necessarily, their babies weren't dealing with, you know, tethered oral tissue, but were still dealing with feeding dysfunctions, had support because, 
you know, it, 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 it kind of just, my experiences further solidified that for me, not as much as prompted me to go that route. Yeah. And I love that perspective that it wasn't just the, like really the personal experience, but kind of reaching out and say, okay, I've consumed this and what, what deeper dive can I go and figure mm-hmm. out, I'm not seeing that everywhere the other providers are able to provide that service. Um, so just to circle back as identifying what type of services to offer within your practice, did that kind of evolve from the beginning of your practice to where you're out at now? Yeah, if if I'm understanding your question correctly, you're asking me if like um, the progression of finding my niche kind of just happened with the type of care that I was providing? You can read. Okay, gotcha. Like the services that you specifically offer on your website are more targeted, I'll say, because I'm doing your yeah. (laughs) Um, So share with me, generally speaking, on our website, it's uh, prenatal, postpartum, you know, follow up, Mm -hmm. but yours is very trimmed down and honed in on the specific type of service that you provide. I see. Yeah. So um, that's by intention specifically Mm -hmm. for marketing. Um, But I didn't start marketing and then getting the clientele. So when I was still a certified breastfeeding specialist, it's really hard because the scope of a CBS uh, or the, you know, I'm going to say the lower tier credentials, but you know what I mean? Like the not IBCLC credentials, but you're still providing um, breastfeeding support and um, in a wide variety of ways. Uh, It's kind of, it was kind of hard because I did have limitations, right? So I'm like, well, how do I navigate not violating my scope of practice, but still providing support to parents who are having basic issues, but um, which was relatively straightforward. But then I started getting messages because I was really heavy on the Facebook groups. And I would have people be like, I'm like, that doesn't sound very normal. I was doing a lot of mini consults back in the day before I knew better, um, especially as a certified breastfeeding specialist. But what ended up happening was a lot of people were reaching out to me saying, you know, I saw my provider and they're saying everything looks fine, but breastfeeding is still painful. And so what I was doing very early on for my virtual support was helping them be like, okay, let's like kind of talk through that. Here's some resources that might be helpful to you. Here's a local provider that might take you more seriously because what you're explaining to me from my very limited knowledge (laughs) at that time, because I I got really into breastfeeding Facebook support very early on, um, it, it just doesn't sound normal, you know, doesn't sound like things are going well. And so because more and people had become familiar with the fact that I could help provide them answers that they weren't getting other places. And a lot of the, the, the issues were tying around oral dysfunction. And I, I kind of developed my skill set and identifying that kind of stuff. It seemed like a normal progression to when I wanted to make sure that I stood out as an area of expertise to kind of be very focused in what I'm marketing my services as. It does provide some confusion sometimes, but for me, you know, I'd rather be known for dealing with oral dysfunction and oral rehabilitation than, um, you know, a general, an all general LC, although I do obviously have the skill sets to, to, to manage most cases. Yeah, and that's been really helpful just seeing that evolution since the time that I've known you and really helped. And we've had a virtual type of like review of my website in the past, and that's yeah. been really helpful not just kind of changing up the website, but really asking myself the personal question of what are you trying to say? Yeah. (laughs) Like, what do you want the takeaway to be from if someone's on your website for 30 seconds, right? So that's been really helpful. 
and you provide services and I'll have you plug all that information <laughs> to really help with that. And I think that's such a solid resource for people that are starting out um, in the field to really identify and ask themselves those questions before they start just kind of throwing everything under the sun <laughs> on the website that's not really getting their message across of who specifically they're trying to help and serve. And I think everybody's so scared of excluding people, right? Like it's so scary to say, this is what I want to focus on because what about all of the other parents that have all of these other issues? Like I, I want to help them, you know? So it can't, it definitely can be scary, but I, I find that, um, you know, uh, I kind of, I kind of use like an example. I have a few examples that I kind of have that in, in my pocket where I'm like, okay, if you're looking for a pair of shoes or a specific pair of running shoes, for example, are you going to go to a place that, you know, specializes in running shoes and that can get you fitted for that? Or are you going to go to a general store that, store that, you know, might do a little bit of everything? It kind of can be easier to reframe and say, it's like, okay, people in this specific situation might find more value in that. But also if you can, if you sell running shoes, for example, primarily, but you also need like marathon shoes versus track shoes, like you can still um, get a variety of different help within that frame of reference. Yeah. I said that very poorly, but I hope you can no, see I'm, what I meant. <laughs> absolutely. And I think the fear is that number one thing is that you're kind of eliminating or people are going to come to your website and not see that they're a fit and that's okay. I feel like yeah. people assume that it, everyone should be a fit. We're trying to hoard um, clients when really it may not be a fit, even if you are in alignment with what their needs are. Mm -hmm. um, it can be a personality area, the way that you practice, different things like that. And that's okay. And releasing them or having a referral system to someone else that may be a better fit. Yeah, I tell I um another thing, the last little tidbit on this little part is I usually ask um when I'm working one on one with like coaching or anything like that, and I know I, I'll plug all that in the end, but I usually ask them like if you could only work with one type of client, what do you think you'd be satisfied if you only saw those cases? And then the other thing is is like what cases would you if you only had those, would you be absolutely miserable? And then that can kind of help you figure out like, okay, am I am I attracting that kind of workload? Am I attracting the kind that fills my cup? And if not, it's totally okay to say, okay, what messaging do I need to say to get more of those people booking with me? Absolutely. I, I, perfect. I think I asked myself that first question that you asked, but not if I had a console where I'm upset about that type of, you know, chief complaint, you know, am I marketing to them as well? Yeah. My cue. So I, I, I love it. I love that tidbit. And you also mentioned that um, you got into the Facebook group scene early on and you run <laughs> quite a few different ones. And with that, it can be an emotional roller coaster that happens just reading through the comments and, you know, feeling like, you know, the system fails um, daily. <laughs> uh, but with that said, in general, this profession is emotionally draining. So what is that why that keeps that momentum going for you on those more challenging days? I, th I think that that's a really great question that, you know, you, you know, these questions come in a little bit early, so I've had time to kind of think about it. And I think my why is multi-tiered. Uh, first of all, I'm always worried that my why never sounds good enough, right? Like I know, <laughs> you know, um, but uh, first and foremost, I think from a, from a, from a client to, or excuse me, from a provider to client 
standpoint, um, the thing that keeps me going is the fact that I might be the only person that's going to provide them with act, uh, real answers. Um, not that I'm the only person capable, but, you know, we know all of the different ways that parents are failed. They can see their provider. They can get extra eyes on them. They, they may not even know there's a problem before realizing that they're dealing with like a massive problem. And so um, anybody who, you know, I know those people are out there and I want to make sure that I can answer their uh, their why's like, why is this difficult? It's not just them provide reassurance. So uh, that's one, but on, on another level, a uh, thing that keeps me driven in this profession in general is I, I really do think that there's room for, uh, you know, room for improvement in a lot of different ways. And so on the really emotionally draining days, which always don't necessarily, it doesn't always come from a parent, you know, situation. Sometimes it's, uh, um, or excuse me, it's not always from the parent situations, it's a parent's interaction with other LCs or other providers. Like uh, at, at the end of the day, my biggest drive beyond just helping parents on a one-to-one -one level is really elevating the standard of lactation care. And so on my hard days, whether however I'm seeing it, that that mission is always in the back of my mind. And it's kind of like the 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 cornerstone of of why I do any of the things that I do. Um from a marketing standpoint, from a continuing education standpoint, and from a direct patient care standpoint, that's essentially what I hope to offer this industry and the parents that seek our services. Yeah, and I think that's so critical, what you mentioned, is that the point of contact, really, that you have with a client could be their tipping point, right? On whether right. or not they continue their journey, whether or not they um, have see any value in lactation as a profession. It's so many <laughs> things. <laughs> really kind of make a pivot for them. And so really remembering that in each encounter that you have, whether it's commenting on a Facebook post or a one-on-one -on -one consult or verbi verbiage on your website, I think that's really important. Yeah, for sure. And so we invest a lot <laughs> into this money, energy, time, um, you name it. So what does that quote unquote rate of return from families look like for you as a result? Um, and to make sure that I'm understanding this question, um, you mean like what's the payout to me by working with families? Correct. Okay, gotcha. Um, you know, obviously there, you know, money is always helpful, right? Money is, uh, is always helpful. Um, I don't know that I could do the work for free, not that I wouldn't find it fulfilling, um, which is where the, the rate of return I think is really coming in from. Uh, but I think for me, really understanding when parents are able to articulate the impact that that I have made in their overall parenting right mm -hmm. so like we we work we work on a very uh I'm a very problem focused person so if for example your baby's not feeding well and we fix that part. Obviously, that's very rewarding for me because it says like, okay, I've done my job and I'm a skilled provider and I was able to accomplish what I set out to do. Not every case is as successful as, you know, like there's some cases that we're really successful in, some cases where it's like, for whatever reason, you know, all of the pieces just didn't fit together. And so the the success stories all, are always really rewarding. But I think from a deeper impact, we're, we're dealing with parents oftentimes who are really at, are struggling with their identity mm. with regards to what it means to be a breast or chest feeding parent, what it means to be a good parent in general. Um, they feel really 
uh, uh, they might be really struggling with feeling really low because things are not going easily. And I think when I hear when I when I hear parents articulate or you can see the change in them where it's like, okay, I've met with you a couple of times and you just seem like a different person. Yeah. For me, that is where, uh, you know, that is where I think m much of the fulfillment comes from. Yeah, and I love that answer and you're, you're right. It's, it's like that shift in their posture or the light that, you know, is on their face. I do a lot of virtuals, I know you do as well. <laughs> but when you kind of pull them up on the screen, the first console compared to when you're, when you're maybe a couple of consults in and they're smiling and happy and really bright and you can kind of see that shift compared to the previous one. It really does specifically my heart good kind of yeah. see, seeing that even say a word. So I think that's such a great point. Especially, especially again, I'm not, and, and you know, I know we're, we're, we're a results oriented profession a lot of times. Like I know we can't promise results, but parents reach out to us because they're expecting to see an improvement. Right. But when we have those, when we have those parents where their situations are very complicated or um, where they're, you know, that their goals that they've originally expressed may not be their end result but they're at peace with that because you've provided the support that they need to kind of make the plan that works for them um, in the, within the, the, the confines of the circumstances they have. That is, that's why I wanted to like clarify. It's not so much of the outcomes, you know what I mean? It's, it's just right. seeing that shift in parents for sure. Yeah. I, I love that word, how you framed it under impact. What's the impact that you're able to kind of get that's fulfilling for you on the back end. I love it. Yeah. And so taking it back, to where you first started, <laughs> learned about lactation. Um, what is one thing you would go back and tell yourself with all the knowledge and experience that you have today? Oh, that is a great question. A great question. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure. So, what is one thing that I would tell myself? Uh, one, the dream that I had to become a millionaire in this industry was probably <laughs> a really bad idea. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, but I think that, um, you know, the constant learning, the constantly putting yourself out there, doing things like all of the things that I had to learn how to do to get here, I wish that I would have just no, like felt confident in myself enough to lead with that because I do have more time and experience under my belt for sure. But I've always had that drive. Um, and sometimes I didn't feel worthy if that makes sense. And I, I think that, um, you know, I can, I can imagine, I, I really committed in 2018 to make so much progress and so much, you know, uh, put a lot of effort into just putting myself out there. And I was still the same credential in 2008, when that uh, 18 that I was in 2015. You know what I mean? And so I wish I could have just told myself that, like, you got this, just do it and stop being a scaredy cat. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I think that that will uh, resonate with a lot of us. Is <laughs> do it scared. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I wrote in my uh, uh, Facebook group because um, the other day, because my daughter says that the first step of being brave is being scared. And yeah. I think that that is a really good I don't know where she learned it from. I wish she could. I can't <laughs> even take credit for that. But, you know, so when she's at the dentist or the doctors, I say, OK, so what's the first step in being brave? And she's like being scared. And I'm like, are you scared? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, we're, we've got that under. Now it's time to be brave. And she's like, OK. And then that seems to really work. And it works at six. I'm assuming it's working at 26, 36, 46. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I love it. What is a step up or tip you can someone who is listening now that's looking to start their journey? 
Yeah, um, that is a great question. Uh, uh, just stay hungry, I guess. You know, I know that that's super vague. I wish I could just be like, you know, start here, start there, or do this thing. I know that we're all at our different, you know, parts in our journey. We have different circumstances and different, uh, you know, reasonings for why we're doing what we're doing. And so I think that the biggest tip, though, especially for progress in this industry and and having opportunities kind of land to come to you and and um, you know we talked earlier about feeling solid in the skill set so that we can charge our worth all of all of that kind of ties into this this hunger this constant hunger to stay willing to learn wanting to learn not being complacent so that's my biggest tip is to stay hungry whether you're literally just starting out being like i want to consume as much breastfeeding information as i as possible or you know i want to uh, uh start my private practice or i want to you know set myself up for a, a hospital position whatever it is just having that drive and hunger to do what you need to do to stay up to date so that you can be a person that people look to i think that's the best advice that i have for someone yeah. starting out for their long-term career I think that's perfect. Stay hungry because there will be those ebbs and flows <laughs> whether it's in motivation or money, but staying hungry and keeping the eye on the prize and that may change, you know, and shift around, but I, I think that's a perfect sentiment. Yeah. All right. So the next section, we are going to pivot over into the letdown. So these are <sighs> yes, no, short answer questions. Are you ready? I'm kind of scared. <laughs> I'm so scared. Okay. I'm ready. All right. So question number one, is running a business as challenging as you anticipated? Yes. If you could only use one resource to study for the IBLC exam, what would that resource be? Um, as much as I hate to say it, it's going to be the Linda J. Smith uh, practice exam book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you could only name one, who is someone within the profession that has had the greatest impact on your journey? Oh my God, don't make me do this. Don't make me do this. Um, gosh, I, I would say, uh, you know, uh, I, it's, there's not just one. I would not be here. Uh, gosh, I don't know how, <laughs> can I explain? <laughs> You can't explain. Okay. I would not be here without Nikki Killings, right? So that's just like already. But I wouldn't be doing what I was doing without really diving into supporting sucking skills and really just trying to be, you know, the next Kathy. Um, and uh, as much as I don't necessarily want to say that, I think that um, there's been an experience with one LC in particular a couple years ago that really just kind of helped me reframe things um, because this person wasn't doing very right by the lactation industry. Mm. Um, and I think that, you know, my connection with said person definitely has had an impact with where I'm at now, just knowing what not to do and setting that example. So I don't think I have one good answer. Go ahead. <laughs> I think that's a great point. Great point. I love it. <laughs> Next question is, was the Ibelsey exam as challenging as you anticipated? Yes and no. It Yes and no. It wasn't as challenging as I anticipated. It was a lot more confusing than I anticipated. Mm -hmm. And that gave me a lot of, um, that gave me a lot of uh, issues with waiting for my results because I was not very confident. Got it. And the last question is, what is one word you would use to describe your journey? 
Uh, one word to describe my journey. Windy? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's really on the nose. I, um, yeah, maybe windy all over the place. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, let me about. let me throw this back to you. What's one word? You may have already answered this. I'm putting you on the spotlight. What's w one yeah. word to describe yours? Man. <laughs> <laughs> great, great way to flip it, Chandra. Um, I would say evolving. Okay, that's good. I'm going to steal that one. It's evolving. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Perfect. Chandra, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. Please feel free to plug your website, contact information, social media so that we can stay connected. Absolutely. If you are looking for um, content to share with your clients, you can go ahead and visit my uh, lactation practice website at matoslactation.com. If you're looking to uh, get help with marketing, coaching, SEO services to kind of help you keep focused with your practice, outsource some of that stuff and just, you know, regroup uh, with from a business perspective, you can visit chandramatos.com. And then, uh, yeah, under those uh, handles, Chandra Matos or Matos Lactation, you should be able to find me pretty good. It's, it's pretty easy to find me online. <laughs> Perfect. I will have all that information in the show notes. And I will say that the MatosLactation.com blogs, I probably <laughs> flood so many clients your way specifically with oral restrictions. Um, so if you're just curious, reading through those blogs, even going back to the older ones, are yeah. So shout out to those. I appreciate that. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. Until next time, guys. Wow, what a pleasure. Chandra has been such an inspiration along my journey. And it's really the feedback that she provides and the way that she provides it that makes you really sit and think to say, what am I trying to say? What am I trying to get across? And then how is what I'm putting out into the atmosphere, curating the type of consults that I want to be doing, the type of families that I want to serve, good or bad, right? So that is a key um, thing that really provided impact, right? Specifically from her, her episode um, that we recorded. So it has been such a pleasure that you all have been so excited about this podcast. I mean, we're closing out season two. I had no idea it would really go past season one, to be honest. So we are going to take a rest, take a reprieve, and then get things back up and going for season three, which will drop in the middle of August. So a short turnaround time, but I'm super excited to get some more individuals um, into the interview seat, if you will, and learn more about their journeys. And we have some surprises coming up in August. So you guys stay tuned. Remember to follow Follow the podcast at Leveling Up in Lactation, both on Instagram and Facebook. You can always learn more and stay up to date at levelingupinlactation.com. Until next time, guys. <laughs>